Hi and welcome to the Racial Introductions podcast. From ancient Greece to branding, globalisation to Homer and logic to fashion, we'll showcase a concise and dynamic insight into a range of diverse topics for wherever your curiosity may lead you. So here is today's very short introduction. My name is Donald Wright. I teach at the University of New Brunswick and I am the author of Canada, a very short introduction. I have been thinking and writing about Canada for close to 30 years. Still, it's a difficult country to know because it stretches across six time zones and 10 million square kilometers from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean and from its southern border with the United States to the high Arctic. It defies quick and easy generalization. Canada is the second largest country in the world, but only 35 million people live here, making it smaller than California. It's also one of the most diverse countries in the world. Most Canadians speak either English or French, of course, but more than one in five Canadians have another language as their first, primarily Cantonese and Mandarin, but also Punjabi, Tagalog, Arabic, and Swahili. Incredibly, 126 different languages are spoken in the Toronto District School Board. When I sat down to write my VSI, I knew that I didn't want to write a potted history of Canada. God knows there are enough of those in the market, some very, very good and some not so very, very good. I also knew that I had to strike the right notes, that I had to find the right balance. If I didn't want to write celebratory history, I didn't want to write black armband history either. First, I wanted to write a book that captured Canada's remarkable diversity that captured the 126 different languages spoken by students and staff in Toronto schools. To this end, I wanted to write a book that explained Canada's historical and ongoing commitment to liberal pluralism in the form of official bilingualism and official multiculturalism. As I tell my students, it's not insignificant that French language rights, especially French language education rights, are enshrined in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Nor is it insignificant that, quote, the preservation and enhancement of the multicultural heritage of Canadians, end quote, is included in the Charter. In fact, it's the only Charter of Rights in the world to include multiculturalism. Bilingualism and multiculturalism are public policies. But, again, as I tell my students, they are also expressions of shared values and of a shared commitment to difference, accommodation, and inclusion. But at the same time as I wanted to write a book that explained Canada's commitment to pluralism, I wanted to write a book that acknowledged Canada's long history of settler colonialism and the dispossession of Indigenous peoples. Dispossession isn't the only story, of course. I mean, history is never a one-way street, and Indigenous peoples have been and still are actors in Canadian history from the first encounters with French explorers in the 16th century through to the present national conversation on truth and reconciliation. But if it's true that history is never a one-way street, it's also true that Indigenous peoples got the short end of the historical stick. No doubt I'm mixing my metaphors, but colonialism was a powerful force, drawing Indigenous peoples into market economies, pushing them onto reserves, often on marginal land, in sending Indigenous children to residential schools with the goal of assimilating them. To locate the balance between pluralism on the one hand and settler colonialism on the other, I looked to Ramsay Cook, a much-respected Canadian historian, taking a generous, capacious view of the past, a view born on the wide, open prairies of his childhood. Cook pushed his students to see Canadian history as something 
plural, open-ended, unfinished, and ongoing. It's a view of history that makes room for indigenous peoples and settlers, men and women, French and English, black and white, farmers, workers, queer people, immigrants, and refugees. In short, it's a view of history that makes room for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the Syrian refugees he welcomed at Toronto's Pearson Airport in late 2015. I quickly learned that writing a very short introduction can be a very long ordeal. At one point, the editor I was working with likened the VSI to landing a large plane on a short runway. You have to keep circling around and trying again. After a handful of false starts, I took a blank piece of paper and wrote down six words that were themselves very short introductions to Canada, beginning dispossession, nationalism, right, border, and north. Next, I pluralized them. Beginning became beginnings, dispossession became dispossessions, nationalism became nationalisms, and so on. After all, Canada doesn't have one nationalism. It has at least three, English-Canadian, Quebecois, and Indigenous. Complicating things, Newfoundland is a province with a national memory. These six words, now pluralized, became the titles of the six chapters in my VSI. As an historian, I'm interested in people, in who they were, and in what made them tick. Throughout my VSI, you'll meet everyday people who led interesting lives and who did extraordinary things, like Marie-Joseph Angelique, Portuguese-born African slave in 18th century Montreal, who burned down her mistress's home, a common form of slave resistance. You'll meet Augie Marasti, who, as a five-year-old child, was sent to a residential school for Indigenous children in Saskatchewan in 1935, and who, much later in life, wrote a powerful memoir about his experiences. You'll meet Pauline Julien, the passionate Québécoise singer who dreamed of an independent Quebec in the 1960s and the 1970s. You'll meet Morris Flood, an early pioneer in the gay rights movement who took a case all the way to the Supreme Court. And you'll meet Thomas Berger, who led a government inquiry into the building of a natural gas pipeline in the Mackenzie Valley, located in the far north in the Yukon Territory, and who recommended in 1977 that construction be delayed until outstanding land claims with the land's indigenous owners could be settled. I'm also a huge fan of Canadian literature, or can-lit, meaning you will also encounter Canadian writers like Margaret Atwood, a genius polymath if there ever was one, and Shani Mutu, whose brilliant short story, A Garden of Her Own, captures the immigrant experience in a large bilingual country. You'll also meet the next-gen writer, poet Sue Sinclair, who, frankly, is the bomb. Writing this book wasn't easy. I can't bear to think about the number of times I had to circle back in order to make another landing attempt. But, kind of like the end result, although I will leave it to others to assess it. And on that note, I'll end with this anecdote. A few months after it was published, I received a lovely note from a former graduate student, a refugee from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Being my former student, he's hardly unbiased. Still, he said something really interesting. As a refugee to this large country that covered half a continent, he could see himself and his experience in Ramsey Cook's definition of Canada. Its generosity made him feel like he belonged, he said, that his story was now part of the Canadian story. Canada, Ramsey Cook always insisted, doesn't have and has never had a single identity. That isn't a bad thing, he said. Quite the opposite, actually. It's a good thing. So I hope you'll pick up a copy of my book and like my former graduate student that you'll fire off an email letting me know what you think, good or bad. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Thank you for listening to the Very Short Instructions podcast. 
You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher to receive new episodes directly to your podcast feed. All of our episodes, new and old, can also be found on SoundCloud and YouTube at OUP Academic. Thank you.